on, is anybody glad you came to church today? Anybody glad? We're glad you came to church. Welcome to those who are joining us live and in person. Welcome to those who are tuned in on television, online. We hope to see you soon, live and in person, face to face. To those uh, men and women joining us from the correctional facilities and prisons, hundreds of them all across the nation right now. Come on. We welcome you. Today we begin a brand new series, a seven-week study on the book of Revelation, specifically chapters two and three. Seven letters written to seven churches dictated each by Jesus personally. And each one of these letters as we study week by week has something very practical and powerful and personal from Jesus that he wants to communicate to the church. I cannot wait to dive in to this brand new message series. So would you join me in asking the Lord to bless this time together? Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit. And God, we thank you for these seven letters written to seven churches that we get to learn something new and fresh from each one. God, we give you space today to minister to each one of us like only you can. Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear what your spirit wants to say to each and every one of us right here and now? It is in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. Come on one more time. Would you put your hands together for Jesus? And everybody can have a seat. The book of Revelation is an interesting book. And it starts off by not only describing the kind of book it is, but it starts off with a promise. So before we get to chapter 2, I want to begin with Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says this, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything that he saw, that is, the word of God, and the testimony of Jesus Christ. I want to just stop here for a moment so I can point out a few things right off the bat. The book of Revelation, what was given its name because it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the testimony of Jesus as was given to the apostle John. This, this book is also uh, at times referred to as the apocalypse, and that's because the word apocalypse, I know it's a scary word, but the word apocalypse simply means unveiling. And so what we discover from just the very first verse of this book of the Bible is that John the Apostle is receiving this revelation by Christ. John has been exiled to an island called Patmos. I, I think today it's probably quite a beautiful island. It sits right off the coast of Greece. But at the time, when, when John was exiled, at the time it was a nearly uninhabitable island. It's a, it's a very rocky island, uh, not many trees. And then the reason that, that John was exiled to Patmos is because he was living, as were the Christians of that day, about 90 AD, um, he, he was living under extreme persecution in Rome. The Roman emperor, uh, Domitian, wanted to be worshipped as God. 
And so John, like most of the Christians living under that extreme persecution, looked at the emperor Domitian and said, nah, we're not going to worship you as God. Come on, you're not God. You're the emperor, but you're not God. We're good on that front. We know who God is. And so John was, was one who was literally exiled to this nearly uninhabitable island. And it's while he's on this island that he receives this revelation from God of what will soon take place. So uh, that, that means the book of Revelation is a very prophetic book. It speaks to what is to come. But, it, but, but it's also a book that has an incredible promise given to uh, you and me. And here's the promise, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear the words and take to heart what is written in this book because the time is near. Now, that's an incredible promise, right? So, so if you've ever thought, you know, I, I don't know if I really, you know, I'm into the church thing. Church only ever wants something from me. Hey, y'all need to understand you're about to walk away more blessed today than you came in because you're going to hear some revelation. Can I get an amen? <laughs> God wants something for you. And, and the Bible says this, that, that when you hear these words and when you read these words, you will be Blessed. And if you're wondering, well, what time is near? What, what are we talking about the time is near? What, what prophetically is this pointing to? What, 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 what prophetically this book is pointing to is the ultimate fulfillment of the promise of God that was given to Adam and to Eve all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 in the garden. The moment that sin is introduced, remember the, the remedy for sin was given in that moment. Jesus was promised in that moment. And, and so what this book is pointing to is the ultimate uh, moment that Jesus will once and for all, finally and forever, rid the world of sin, come on, and evil and injustice and everything else that sin brings along with it. All disease, all jealousy, envy, anxiety, greed, fear, anger, hatred, every kind of evil, every kind of injustice will be dealt the final death blow. Satan and all of his minions will be dealt the final death blow. And we who belong to Christ, this is the message of the gospel, that, that we who belong to Jesus will reign with Jesus forever. Amen. We will live forever in his presence, in the perfection of the promise that God gave to us all the way back at the very start. We who are in Christ will live in the perfection of everything God has intended for humanity from the very beginning. And, and if I can just continue to remind the church that, that Jesus' return is, is imminent. And, and, and that's, a good, that's a good thing. This is good news. I don't know when he's coming back. The Bible says no, no man knows the day, the time, the hour. But he will come back. And this is good news because he will make right every wrong. Amen. This is, this is a good news message for the church. And we're talking about Jesus who uh, describes himself in Revelation chapter 1 verse 8 as the Alpha, the Omega, the one who is, the one who was, and the one who is to come, the Almighty. And so this is a very prophetic book, but I love how this book begins. It begins with a promise. But even before we, we, we get to see what is to come. This, this book begins with seven letters written to seven churches, and each letter is dictated by Jesus. And the reason he's sending seven letters to these seven 
churches is because he wants his church to be ready to be prepared for when he returns for his church, right? He, he wants us to be ready. He, he wants us to be right. Now, the, these letters, though they're written to seven very specific churches in very real and specific places at a real moment in time, in history, they are also prophetic in nature, which means that um, though he's writing to seven specific churches, we can still learn from these letters today. He's still speaking to the church today through his word. And what we're going to notice as we begin to delve into these letters is, is the first thing that Jesus does is he, he comes along and he encourages the church. And so he'll, he'll say things like this. Here's what I love about you. Here's what, what I, I really think you're doing a good job at. This is where you're really getting it right. And so he encourages the church. But then what you'll notice is as he's encouraging the church, he'll, he'll then turn the page and he'll say something like this. But, but if there's one thing that I need you to focus on right now, if there's one area that you're not really getting it right all the time or ever, here's the area. This is the one thing. I need you to focus on this. I need you to fix this. I need you to correct that. And, and how many of you know it, it, that's a good coach? Amen. Like, like you need somebody in your life who loves you enough that they're willing to tell you the truth sometimes. Somebody with enough empathy and love and grace and, and compassion who they'll come alongside of you and say, hey, here's what I love about you. Here's what you're getting right. This is what you do really well. This is where I see that you're really strong. But, but if there's one thing that you could tweak or fix or address in your life that would make you even stronger, th this would be that one thing. And so week by week, we're going to learn from these seven churches. Here's how John introduces these letters with verse 9. He says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the seven golden lampstands was someone like the son of a man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were a blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me, and he said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death in Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds. 
Now, how, how many of you would, would just like stop the Lord right there? Come on, be honest. I don't care what you have to say next. At least just don't say it out loud. Write me a personal letter. I'll read it when I'm alone. Come on. That, that anybody knows my deeds. How many of you are nervous already? Like I ain't even read the letter yet. You're just nervous. I know your deeds. If the Lord showed up in your life and he said, hey, just, I know your deeds. <laughs> what, what, what are we talking about? Well, I know your deeds. Okay, good. This is awesome. Well, look, look at Jesus. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men and that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You've persevered and you've endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. That, that's, that's not the Jesus I was expecting. Come on, can, can we be honest? I know your deeds. I, I thought we were going to go through a whole long laundry list of all the wrongs I've, I've done. And Jesus, the first thing he wants to do is he wants to encourage you. Amen? He wants to encourage you. This is his church. Your sin has been forgiven. You belong to Jesus. Amen? Come on, this is good news. He's not here to remind you of all the wrong you've done. When, you, when you're forgiven of your sin, it's gone. He, he forgets it. He doesn't even think about it anymore. Yet this one thing I hold against you, says the Lord, you have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But, but you do have this one thing in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, if you want to know, I don't have time to unpack this, but just, just to know what did the Nicolaitans, what were they all about? Well, Nicolaitans were known for, for mixing worship. They, they, they included sexual immorality in their, their worship. And, and, and I, honestly, I think it's a lot like many Christian denominations across the nation today that are, that are embracing sexual immorality as entire denominations. And Jesus is saying, look, I love that you've held true to my word. I, I love that you've, you, you've stood fast to, to what I have to say about this and, and, and I hate that too. So, so way to go. That, that's what I, I'm really proud of you. But you, you need to understand if there's one thing I hold against you, you've forgotten your first love. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life. Same tree we studied in Genesis, introduced in Genesis chapter 2, which is in the paradise of God. Now, each week we're going to talk about each of the seven churches and we're going to try to sort of describe the church with a single word. And, and if I were to describe the church in Ephesus with a single word, I would say this, that, that the church in Ephesus was a distracted church. They, they were a distracted church. Notice how Jesus describes this church. He says, I know your deeds. You, you, you run fast, you work hard, you've persevered, you press on, you've not grown weary. I love that you detest what I detest. You've endured hardship for me. You're an on mission, always on mission, active and engaged church. And I love that about you. He's just like, I'm impressed, I'm impressed, I'm impressed. Way to go, way to go, way to go. Yet this one thing I hold against you, you have forsaken your first love. Now, what does Jesus mean by you have forsaken your first love? 
I think one of the easiest and most obvious examples that I could use is, is marriage, and, and I will use marriage as an example, but I'm going to use another example as well because um, th- there are a lot of people in our church that aren't married. Come on, make some noise if you're single and, and you're looking for somebody and they might be in the room right now. Come on, th- there's a lot of you. <laughs> and I know that there's some people here, you're married, but you're not happy about it. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Don't raise your hand. But I do want to begin with, with marriage as an example. And if, if you are married or if, you, if, if you've ever been married, you, you'll say, yes, I, I agree with this, that, that the way you spell marriage is W-O-R-K. Amen? Like if you're not willing to work your marriage, your, your marriage will likely not work. And, and how many times does this happen in marriage? I, and I'm not going to lie. This, this has happened to me often, through, or not, maybe not often, but throughout our marriage. I'm, 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 I've been married 19 <laughs> Going on 20 years, all right, so to cut, cut the brother a break, right? I, I, going on 20 years of marriage, which means, all that means is I have a lot to learn still, right? 20 years is not enough to learn all you need to learn. But, but how many times has this happened to you? you, you you're, you're living life, everything's fine, things are normal, and um, your spouse says, hey, I want to talk. And you're like, have I ever had to give you permission to talk before? Like, just... What do you want to talk about? And, um, and what you hear is, I want to talk about us. Okay, let's talk about us. I just feel like, you know, we're not as close as we need to be. What do you mean? Well, I just feel like we've not really been connecting. Like we've not really been together. And, uh, and, and, of course, one person's always surprised that this conversation is even happening. Like, I still don't understand. It's like, like I feel like we've just sort of been drifting apart. Like, like we're just not as close as we, we need to be. And, and so you start to think about it. And you're like, well, you know, I've been working hard. You've been working hard. I've been here. You've been there. I know we haven't been able to see each other a whole lot in the past few weeks or maybe months. And, and, and the, the other person's like, exactly, right? This is what I'm talking about. I just feel like we've sort of drifted apart and we, we need to be intentional and, and come back together. And, and if that's not happened to you, I'm sure you know somebody who this has happened to. It's, it's sort of the same conversation, but it, but it reaches a, a whole new level. When, when, when one person in the marriage says to the other person in the marriage, hey, I need to talk, we need to talk. And when you sit down to talk, one person says, look, I just, I need you to know I'm not in love with you anymore. And, and there's usually somebody who's surprised by that. What do you mean? You, you're not, we're, I just feel like um, we, we've drifted apart. I don't love you anymore. I've moved on. And so uh, now I'm going to officially move on. And you're like, when did this happen? Can, can you give me an example? Like, like, did I do something to cause this? And, and it happens so often in marriage. One person just finds themselves, I'm done with this marriage, and, and it's like, well, well, when were you done? Like, like, can you take me to the point, the place, the time where you decided I'm done? Like, like when did we drift apart? And then very often what happens is nobody can really figure out like how it happened or why it happened or, or, or when exactly the moving on took place. It, it, because it's not that, that two people tend to drift apart intentionally. Drift just sort of naturally happens. And when drift just sort of naturally happens and we don't identify the drift as it's happening, what, what ends up happening is 
two people dealing with the consequence of a failed marriage, even though uh, a lot of times neither one of the, 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 the two who are married are even sure how the marriage failed in the first place. And there's usually somebody who's quite surprised, stunned, shocked. Where'd this come from? How did this happen? Here's what Jesus is saying to the church. This is going to be you. If you don't return to your first love, if if you're not careful, if you're not willing to, to dig down deep and get back the love you once had for me, this will be you. And here's the challenge for the church, especially for people who are a part of of a church that does a lot, a church like this church. We're we're always on mission. We we, we do a ton. We we do a lot. And the challenge for people who are a part of a church like this is, is sometimes I think it's easier to love the church than it is to love Jesus. Sometimes I think it's easier for us to do work for God than, than, than it is for us to actually love God or spend time with God. And I'm not counting myself out. I know a many pastor, and sometimes it's happened in my own life, where, where the church becomes an idol in my life, where I, I realize I'm doing more work for the church. I'm, I'm not really working for God. I'm not spending time with him. Just like it's easy at times to take the person you're married for, married with for granted. Well, I'm working all day for you. You're working all day for me. I work all night for you. I'm, I'm, but, but, but I'm not spending enough quality time with you and the relationship suffers. So what Jesus is saying to a distracted church is his remedy for distraction is two words. It's repentance and remembrance. Remembrance and Repentance. And the first thing Jesus says is, I want you to remember the height from which you've fallen. I want you to remember where we were when we first got started. I want you to remember what it was like when this relationship was brand new. Now, if marriage doesn't work for you, if, if, if that wasn't a great illustration, then let's talk friends. I have a friend named Herbert Cooper. Anybody remember back in, in August when Pastor Herbert came to speak? Come on, make some noise for Pastor Herbert. He might be watching right now. We brought Herbert and his wife Tiffany in, and they did an incredible job speaking one weekend for our church. And, and it was the first weekend that, that Katie and I got to spend real quality time with Herbert and his wife Tiffany. And I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you, but, but you ever meet somebody, and, and just the first time you meet them or you have one dinner with them, and you walk away from that one moment, and you know I've just made a friend for life. Anybody ever had that? Like, I, I know that, that we're going to be friends for life. Well, this was Herbert and me. We just hit it off right away. We, we connected immediately. And since that weekend, there's not hardly a week that goes by that we're not texting each other or calling each other or sending something to, 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 to the other, planning a trip together. This summer, I took my family to visit his family in Oklahoma City. This is me teaching Pastor Herbert how to fix a tire. <laughs> This is me giving Herbert a turn to turn the little knobs on the wheel. (laughs) This is Herbert and I standing with the AAA guy that our wives called. (laughs) But I do want you to know that we got to tell that AAA guy hi. Hey, just just step back and watch because at least one of us know how to fix a tire. 
You, you know what it's like when you, when you first connect with somebody and, and the relationship is new, it's fun, you spend time together, you talk to your friends about that person, you're always in communication because there's just something about the relationship. Jesus is saying to the church, I want you to remember what it was like when you and I first became friends. When, when, when we first met each other. I want you to remember where you were and who you were and what your life was like, how you were living without peace, but now there's peace in your heart and in your home. How, how, how you, you'd never known what it feels like to be forgiven of your sin, and now you know what it feels like. You're free. Come on, you're filled with my Holy Spirit. I, I want you to remember how you used to tell everybody about me and you used to bring your friends and family to church every single week and you were constantly in the word and you were worshiping and we talked a lot. Remember what it was like when we first got going? See, Jesus is saying remember because remembrance is a discipline. We're prone to forget. Drift happens by default, but to keep the course takes intentionality and focus and attention and time and care and discipline. Remember the height from which you've fallen. So here's a couple questions that I think we could ask ourselves. Question number one is, have I become so busy with life that I have little to no time for the giver of life? Have, have I become so busy with life that I have made little to no time for the giver of life? Here's another way to phrase this question if you've never even spent a, a single moment thinking about God. A question you might ask yourself is, have I become so busy living life that I've never taken adequate time to consider the giver of life. Amen. Have I been living life so full that I've never taken time to consider the giver of life or, or, or some of the claims that Jesus made? Because how many of you know Jesus made some incredibly profound claims that have absolutely incredible, long-lasting, eternal implications? If Jesus is right, he's either a lunatic or he's Lord. Amen? Have we been living our lives so full that we've not taken time to at least consider what Jesus said? Like in John chapter 14, verse 6, when Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father in heaven except through me. Or in John chapter 10, verse 9, when Jesus said, I am the door, the, the gateway to everlasting life. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. There's, there's some profound implications to Jesus' message. Or Acts chapter 4, verse 12, where it says salvation is found in no one else. Nobody else. There, there was no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus has either just lost it. Come on. Or he's telling us the truth. Romans chapter 3 and chapter 6, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he, Jesus, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. 
My challenge to to you is is this. I'm talking to two people. The first person I want to talk to is if you've experienced personally the saving grace of Jesus, when is the last time you stopped to thank him for what he's done for you? When is the last time you, you, you stopped to, to just listen to him speak and, 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 and take in time to allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you personally? The, the other person is this. If you've not yet ever personally encountered the saving grace of Jesus, when's the last time you purposefully took time to consider the overwhelming and long-lasting implication of Jesus' message? Because I can tell you, based upon what we just read in the Scripture, if you miss Jesus, you miss everything. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have anything. Life apart from Jesus is not life at all. So Jesus, he writes to the church and he says, I know your deeds. I love what you do beyond the walls. It's incredible. I love your hard work. I love that that what you do through the Columbus Dream Center and that you've got four locations now. And I love that you're in so many prisons. Good job. And your perseverance that you refuse to quit. You didn't even let a pandemic stop you. Come on. I love how you, you, you just keep running. You started in the short north, and, and, and then you, you branched out the hilliard. Then, then you went to Whitehall. Now you're in Polaris, and you're about to build something even bigger and better in Polaris. I'm, I'm so proud of you. I love that, that you have this intolerance toward wicked men. I, I, I love that you, you tell the truth. We need more truth tellers in, in the world. I, I love how you've tested those who claim to be apostles, but they're not, and you found them, them false. Thank you for not losing your way while, while so many in your generation have lost their way. I love that you've persevered. I love how you've endured hardships for my name and that you've not grown weary. Yet this one thing I hold against you, you have forsaken your first love. Have I become so busy living life that I've made little to no time for the giver of life? Here's one more question I want us to ask ourselves. Am I willing to listen to everybody else's voice but not the voice of God? Do I take time to listen to everybody else's voice, but I don't take time to listen to God's voice? Your spouse ever tell you a whole story and you didn't catch any of it? Been talking and talking and talking. So what do you think about that? You're like, what? Because I've learned to sometimes tune you out. It's easy to do. Blessed is the one who reads the words. Blessed are those who hear the words. Revelation 1.3. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 3. Listen closely. Be careful that you obey so all will go well with you just as the Lord has promised you. Jeremiah chapter 7. To a wayward people, the Lord speaks. My people have not listened to me. They've not even tried to hear. They've been stubborn and sinful, even worse than their ancestors. When's the last time you you took time to listen for God to speak? This isn't to condemn you. There, There are a lot of voices in the world competing for our attention. 
So you might say, when's the last time I took time to listen for God to speak? It's been a while. It's been a while. Or you might say, when's the last time I took time to hear God speak? I've never taken time to hear God speak. Jesus' remedy for distraction is remembrance, but it's also repentance. When he says you you have forsaken your first love, to, to forsake means to neglect or to leave behind, which is why Jesus, he says, hey, I need you to also repent, which means to turn back or to change direction, to reroute, to change course. That's what repentance means. You, you've not been making time, so, so turn from that and, and let's start making time. You, you've been going one way in life. Stop and consider another. Do what you did at first if you know Jesus or do what you've never done. Either way, it's a win. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. I don't, God, need you or want you to take anything from me that you desire for me. God, let's not even go there. Don't take your presence from me. Don't, don't, don't take anything from me that you desire for me. But, but Jesus is saying this is what it's go, what's going to happen if you don't repent. But, but if you do repent, therefore, when you repent and when you return, your sins will be wiped away. And times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Sometimes I think we're slow to repent because we think he's waiting for us to, to say, hey, I've, 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 I've fallen short. And he's like, I know, I know your deeds. You think I'm surprised by your sin? I'm not surprised. I'm not waiting for you to repent so I can beat you over the head with your sin. I'm waiting for you to repent so I can take your sin from you and, and refresh you. Not condemn you, refresh you. Not shame you, cover you. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Return to your first love. Now for some of you that's easy. Because you know where you were when you first met Jesus. Just, just Let's just get that back. But, 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 but for others you, you might say, how do I return to, to, to somebody I've never, let alone love. I don't even know them. I, I don't know Jesus. I don't know God. How can I return to somebody I've never had a relationship with? Well, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4 verse 19 that, that we love because he first loved us. You see, you, you, you don't have to have had spent a single moment in your life up to this point considering God at all. If you'd consider him now, you can still return to your first love because he loved you before anybody else loved you. He knew you before the foundation of the world was formed. He's the one who formed you, made you, created you, breathed his own breath of life into your lungs. God loves you with an uncomparable love like no other love you've ever experienced or encountered in your life. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows you better than anybody else knows you. He loves you. And so even though maybe you've never even thought a day in your life about God, God, you can return to your first love. 
So now some of you, you're looking at your notes and you're like, where's the bottom half? Where are the rest of my notes at? No, normally this page is full. Well, we, we purposefully left some space on your message notes because I, I, I don't want to give you the rest of your notes. I want the Spirit of the Lord to give you the rest of your notes. And in that, that might mean in these next few moments, I've asked one of our worship leaders to sing a song over us. And, and it might mean that in these next few moments, you, you just close your eyes and, and listen and, and the Lord might say something to you and, and that space on your notes is for you to write it down. It might mean that tonight you take time to listen to the voice of the Lord and you, you find a space, you turn off your phone, you, you quiet yourself and you say, okay, Lord, if you want to speak, what, what, what would you like to say to me? If it's been a while since you've heard God speak, ask him to speak to you and he will. If you've never talked about or uh, talked to God or even thought about talking to God, you don't even know where to start. I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer of faith with me. And as we sing this song and we, we, we just spend a few moments in his, his presence, if, if you've not been forgiven of your sin, if you don't know if you've been saved or not, I, I want you to be sure right now. And I want you to begin to, to, to start a, a conversation with the Lord. And then at the end of that prayer, when I say amen, and you say amen, which is a word that means we agree, we're going to listen. You might notice, too, that, that we've offered you the elements for communion. I can't help but think about last week's message when we studied the life of Joseph and how the bread and the cup were present in his story when he was in the prison cell. The bread that represents the body of Jesus, the, the cup that represents the blood of Jesus and how Jesus was present in, in Joseph's lowest moment. The bread and the cup, it's meant, it's given to us to, to eat and to drink in, in remembrance who Jesus is and what he's done. And so as we're listening and as we're sitting and as we're focusing on the Lord, you, you might want to take communion just between you and the Lord. First, I want you to pray with me. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Do you want to be saved? Do you want to be forgiven? you want to hear from the God who created you? Say, Jesus, I need you, and I trust you as Lord and Savior of my life. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me through and through. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and lead me day by day into your will for my life. And now, Jesus, may every possible distraction be drowned out and set aside these next few moments as we focus on you. May this be a time of refreshing in your presence by your Holy Spirit. As God, we invite you to speak to us as we write down what we hear, as we meditate on you. In Jesus' name, everybody said.